Hello and welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insurtech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents in the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organisational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation of how to lead insurance businesses of the future. This is episode 21, and in this week's episode, we speak to Ron Glosman of Chisel AI. Ron is a great guest and a podcast pro. He runs his own podcast. Um, if you're interested in artificial intelligence in the insurance industry, if you're interested in venture-backed businesses, startups, or simply startup culture, then this is one for you. Ron's got a really interesting story. He was approached by someone from the insurance industry and sort of plucked direct from uh, college um, off the back of an app he, um, he made. Um, which is essentially to save him time for his studies. So really interesting, found a story. I think you'll enjoy it. Please enjoy episode 21 of the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. Morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, otherwise known as The Lip. Um, I am, as ever, Alex Bond, your host. Uh, I'm very lucky today to be joined by Ron Glosman from Chisel AI. Um, how are you doing, Ron? Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, not at all. And um, where are you joining us from? Canada, you're based, aren't you? Yes, sir. Snowy Toronto, Canada. We had a nice blanketing of snow. So it's probably what you imagine it as, covered in <laughs> white stuff. Yeah, but I mean, we I think we imagine that differently because I think in the US, we're having the worst of it at the moment. It's like dark, overcast, cold, but just none of the exciting cold stuff either. So, <laughs> yeah, um, we're, you know, I think in lockdown, I'm, I'm officially feeling sorry for myself about the weather, I'm afraid. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And, and I think uh, a lot of people can relate to that. And so hopefully I'm sending my positive wishes to everybody who's listening. <laughs> it's better than um, I, kept, I kept talking to startup founders in California and I'm like, I'm not doing it anymore. I refuse. <laughs> yeah. 23 degrees Celsius. I don't know. Like that's like 82 Fahrenheit. They're spending yeah. their time outside. Unbelievable. Yeah. No, I've got no time for those people at the moment. Anyway, um, back to the matter at hand. Um, obviously, um, I, I spoke to one of your colleagues and found out a little bit more about Chisel AI, um, AI and, and I think the AI bit gives it away. Um, but obviously, within the kind of insure tech space, perhaps you give some context about you know what it is the business does and, and, and the products that you offer. Certainly. So... Our primary focus is on helping uh, automate a lot of routine mundane processes around handling paperwork. Mm -hmm. So uh, the two primary use cases today that we have, one of them is centered on uh, the front line process. So uh, the submission intake piece as a carrier, you're receiving applications or submissions for business every single day, tens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of times a day. And you need to get them into your system and triage them as fast as possible. So that's our first solution. It's called submission intake and triage. It helps you with automating, automatically extracting the data from the email body, any of the attachments for the, for example, statement of values, schedule of vehicles, uh, schedule of locations, uh, any other type of attachment that you might have and get it into your standard system mm -hmm. to kickstart the quoting process. Mm -hmm. Um, on the flip side, as a broker, one of the big responsibilities you have is a fiduciary duty to try and prevent errors and omissions. And so uh, once you've gone through the process of acquiring a quote, uh, discussing with the client, uh, getting their, their 
authority to bind one piece of business, uh, the policy gets written 60 to 90 days later. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes a, a broker will go through and try to read the wording to make sure that all of the endorsements match, uh, all of the exclusions that are expected are there. There are no additional exclusions, et cetera. And that process takes a, a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we have been able to automate that process by automatically reading all of the paperwork and the underwriting process, starting from last year's expiring policy to the quote, to the binder, to the final policy wording, and comparing across them to help reduce errors and omissions so that brokers can have peace of mind and their, their customers and the policyholders who are the most important people in this whole value chain have peace of mind as well. Because yep. nobody wants to be left at a, at a claim event scratching their heads saying, I thought I was covered for this. Yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely true. Um, very true at the moment in the UK, as you may have seen with our... Uh, <laughs> business interruption debacle that keeps rolling on and on. Um, well, it doesn't roll on now. It's been decided by the courts where they're paying out, but no doubt there'll be a challenge. But no, thank you for that. That's really useful. And, and just to sort of clarify, what um, are there limitations in terms of the classes of business that you sort of you can apply this to? And, and typically kind of who is your sort of client base? Yes, brokers, but uh, sort of in terms of scales, class of business, is, is that... Dictate yeah, so uh, as far as technology and AI is concerned, uh, you could use the same techniques and the same technology for any sub-vertical in the insurance space. Um, we today, as far as the business is concerned and where we are focused, we're very much in the commercial space, even more so in property and casualty. So uh, we do a lot of like uh, DNO, ENO, cyber, inland marine, agriculture, aerospace, like general property, construction, surety, any type of large commercial transactions. Uh, we today don't do personal lines, but you could certainly use the same technology for personal lines. Um, it's more a business decision that we decide to do the work on the commercial side because we believe that that's where the complexities lie and where the large, large time savings can really occur. Um, as far as the customers, so our, our time, our primary customers are typically VP of operations um, within either a broker or a carrier. Um, Zurich is very public about the relationship with us. We won the Zurich Innovation World Championship in 2019, which was the inaugural year. Um, and Zurich is, you know, can't, I can't go into specifics, but they're a very big supporter of ours and uh, they like what we build. So uh, it would typically be an SVP, VP level person, uh, typically in what we call a tier one. So that would be like the Aeons, the Marshes, the Willis Towers Watsons, the Arthur J. Gallagher, sort of the top 20 brokers. Mm -hmm. And uh, probably the top 40 carriers is sort of our sweet spot. We're really focused on the very, very large uh, because that's where we can help them reduce, you know, the volume significantly and uh, really produce results. In the future, as we uh, expand the use cases, like, like we talked about earlier, we will go downstream and mm -hmm. expand that to include what we consider tier twos and tier threes. So the slightly smaller players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have to be careful about the term tiering in this country. We get um, <laughs> start thinking. About I tried it. to be correct. Yeah, yeah, we start start. No, I'm just more uh, tiering at the moment means how much you're allowed to go out of your house as a result of coronavirus. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't thinking about upsetting anyone's feelings in the broking market. I, I think yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it kind of comes full circle. We were talking off air slightly that. Um, 
you know, I, I was asking you why insurance because your your background's in computer science and, and, and that's that's what you studied, right? Um, and did you do some work for Google as well before before this all began or? Is that right? Yeah. So as a, as a student, I, I went to a, a special program to do computer science and business. It was sort of like, if you're a Harry Potter fan, uh, like Hermione, when she would literally split herself and go to two different classes in two different schools. <laughs> um, that was a thing because the schools were two different universities, two kilometers apart, and you had 10 minutes to get between classes. So wow. it, was, it was a sprint sometimes, but um, <laughs> I studied computer science and business. And uh, as part of the program, we had co-ops, which meant that every single summer, instead of having the summer off, we had a work experience. So I got to work for a machine learning startup that was in the vision space. Mm-hmm. I got to work for a machine learning that was in the analytics and advertising space. Um, and I also got to do some work for Google as a uh, student VP at the university. So um, definitely coming out the insurance space from the tech side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let's let's answer the obvious question: Why insurance? Um... <laughs> yeah, I wish I had an answer to say that it was a calculated decision. Right. Um, it wasn't necessarily the the way the app or the way the whole company started at the time. It was an app. So I've been working on this for almost seven years now. I started working on this in 2014. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I was a student studying computer science and business, as I mentioned, and I said to myself, it doesn't make sense that I have to read a thousand page textbook to take a 10 page exam. That's like 1% of the content. What if I can teach a computer how to read and create summaries of textbooks? What I want is a one page summary for every chapter because, you know, exams are typically like chapter 10 and then chapter 12. You don't need to read every single book. So um, being a computer science student, I said, that sounds easy. Um, It wasn't really easy, but I, I worked on it for a little bit. And after a couple of months, I got it to the point where I could uh, not really read the textbook, not have to go to class, but still get A's, still maintain my scholarship and just spend my time doing things that I liked. My friends heard about it. They said, hey, can you put this out on the app store? And so I did. And in about two weeks, it went viral. It was in 33 countries, 44 of the top Ivy League schools in the world were talking Princeton, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, Russia, China, India, Brazil, Portugal, Switzerland, Netherlands, UK. It was in it was in Yale, uh, not Yale. Sorry, it was in um, um, Cambridge University. It was in Oxford. It was in Edinburgh. It was in a, in a bunch of places in the UK and um, Scotland. And so, long story short, didn't make any money from it. Not surprisingly, <laughs> because students don't have any discretionary income. So I worked on it as a hobby for the next two years. And then in 2016, I was invited uh, by RBC, which is uh, the Royal Bank of Canada, one of our big banks here, to their first ever machine learning conference to talk about natural language processing, which is a type of artificial intelligence. It's my specialty and my company's specialty. Mm-hmm. And so um, we came into, the, I came into this uh, event. I sat on this panel. I answered questions from the audience. And about 10 minutes after the panel finished, uh, an email came in through our central contact form that said, hey, great chat. I just saw you present. I know this is an app for students, but I think insurance can really benefit. Do you have five minutes to chat? And so um, that was where it sort of all started. I I took a quick look. I Googled the company. turned out to be one of the biggest brokers in the world. I quickly followed up with them. I said, yes, would love to chat. I met with them six times over the next eight weeks. They educated me on the process of 
um, you know, basically being a broker, the fiduciary duty and Arizona missions. That's really the, what their focus was. They said, can you take these two documents, a binder and a policy and compare them to make sure they match? And so uh, they cut me a rather sizable check and I, I was off to the races. I spent six months working on it. I got it to the point where you could upload a binder and a policy and it would tell you based on a standardized checklist of questions, do the names match, do the addresses match, do the limits match, do the deductibles match, all of these questions that they had. And, um, you know, now we're here three years later. Um, we have expanded the product suite from just policy check to, as I mentioned, submission intake as well. So now we service the carrier side as well. We've won multiple competitions. It's gone from just me in my dorm room to over 30 people full-time, 50 people if we include part-time. So mm -hmm. um, it's been a journey. What a journey. Yeah, that's a great story. I mean, it's. I think that's really interesting about the, you know, natural language processing because we've had a few kind of AI automated um, type uh, tech businesses in the insurance space that we've spoken to predominantly actually focused on claims um, that seems to be quite an obvious area for it I, I'm I used to work in the claims um, side of the insurance so I kind of um, I've got a soft spot for my claims my claims people um, but it, it's so interesting um, about the, what they were saying is that essentially before before that existed it's kind of opened up this this huge opportunity with the insurance because we're working with so much unstructured data, so much kind of stuff that's written down, um, and so much of the work is 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 manual in you know checking the content of these documents that we produce, um, which, as you as a student uh, <laughs> spotted, um, is a waste of time. It's a waste of people's time. Um, I, I wanted to kind of ask you about that actually like yeah you know, obviously there's there's lots of roles that exist that are in that space you know uh, and AI is often seen as the job killer and automation as the job killer you know what, what do you think about that when people say that you know what's your thought process on that yeah certainly I I personally don't think it's a job killer and I'll, I'll give you statistics because I'm, I'm a man of of math that's why we're computer scientists. So, um, you know, um, you, you, we talked a little bit offline, but basically we have a podcast. And so one of the people that we hosted on our podcast is, is a lady who is, uh, I forget her exact role, but she sits on the uh, Young Professionals for Insurance uh, Council. So basically they're trying to get young people interested in the industry. Now, the unfortunate realities are that only 4% of new college grads in the United States are entering the insurance market. And the other sort of piece to compound with that is that 55% uh, of people in insurance are going to retire in the next 10 to 15 years. So they're in, in the late stage of their career, typically in their 50s or so. And so when they get to about 65, 67, 70, they're going to retire. And so when you do the math, the workforce is going to shrink by half because we just don't have enough new college grads exiting to replace the trained workforce that we have. Sure. And so... Um, that means we've got to be more efficient. And it means that any opportunity that we have to reduce routine, mundane, boring work that nobody from my generation and your generation is going to want to do. Yeah. Um, I personally think that's a win because we're helping them uh, do jobs that, you know, they probably don't want to do. 
and while at the same time helping these companies maintain where they are, we're not even talking about growing their books of business, which is obviously what we want to do. We don't want to be stagnant, but mm -hmm. just looking at the numbers of workforce, um, I think there has to be technology enablement in the next 10 to 15 years. Otherwise, the industry is going to have a, a severe shortage of, of uh, workforce. Mm -hmm. um, that's one way to look at it. I think the other piece is also to look at uh, how we do it. So the way we do it is we have a human in the loop process. There's two types of artificial intelligence. There's probably more types, but I'll, I'll, I'll at least break it down into two. Yeah, yeah. Um, one is a, a full autonomous process. So the machine makes a prediction and, and you take it at its face value and you're good to go. Uh, that comes with a lot of risks. Um, now, that's not to say we'll never get there. I think the reality is, of course, once we get to 99.999, some arbitrary number of decimals, people are going to be happy enough with that. But at the moment, the accuracy is not sufficient. So oftentimes what you do is the machine makes a prediction and then you have a human review it. Now, think about this. Instead of having to do a complex math problem, if somebody wrote out all the steps and gave you the final answer and said, please check that this makes sense, that takes you a lot less time. In our experience, we're able to take processes down from like three to four hours to mm -hmm. 30 minutes. So the human's still doing work. They're doing the, actually the more valuable work, the judgment work, like a teacher would do in a course. So the student's gone, they've done the work, and now the teacher's there grading it, giving them feedback. And so that's how you should think about it. It's the student, it's learning, it's getting better over time. And eventually, um, the hope is that it gets to a point where once these people retire, it will be able to supplement and work hand in hand with the existing people uh, to cover that gap. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I see it as a huge amount of empowerment. You know, that's the way I look at it. I mean, I, I obviously I'm talking about claims, which I, I know is not the focus, but any any mundane task within the insurance industry, it tends to not be someone's entire role. It tends to be part of their role. Mm -hmm. And really, what you're saying is you're taking that part away. You're you're saying this bit that's really monotonous, repetitive, and mundane. That, as you say, even if you've got someone doing it now, how do you attract someone into that role in the future? Um, you're taking that bit away. And so that, and that frees you up to hopefully spend more time focusing on your internal stakeholders, whether that be customers or, or whether that be internal you know, customers, which you're kind of, you know, customer satisfaction, building relationships. Um, my hope, and, and I suppose where I kind of think there's a bit of a conflict, is that if you approach automation with the attitude of this will allow me to get rid of loads of people and save loads of money, and then that's banking pure profit, that's my worry. I think if companies approach it going, this frees up time and money that we can put into the customer experience and creating better products or innovating innovation teams, then that's a massive plus plus. If it's approached with a, this is just a way of creating more profit, that's a problem. Um, For sure. I mean, it's, it's interesting to me and, you know, hopefully we get there in my lifetime. Hopefully, you know, knock on wood, I live long enough to see it. But two thirds of the world's people, unfortunately, are unbanked and uninsured. Mm -hmm. um, and so my goal would be, you know, that this brings down the cost of insurance. So rather than it being profits, as you say, I would like to see it, first of all, lowering the cost basis. 
so that insurance becomes more affordable, more people get insurance. And hopefully this eventually leads the path to, you know, micro insurance or the ability to offer insurance at a really small scale. Because today, when we have a well-trained person in the United States or, uh, you know, Canada or some other country reading policies by hand and getting paid $50 an hour and it takes them four hours to read it, you just racked up like a, a bill that for somebody in South Saharan desert might not even be sustainable in a one year. Yeah. And so that's where we, we come in. If like, I tell you, well, I can read that document for you for $1. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow. So now I can reduce the cost of this insurance $199. That's, yeah. That to me is, is where I'm hoping companies go. And in my experience, you know, I can at least speak from my experience with Zerk. That's definitely where they're heading. Like they're not looking at this to be as a profit driver. They're looking for this just to empower. Yeah, no. And that's the hope. And I, I, I do have a slight, you know, I have to be, I was funny. I was talking about being careful what you say, but I'm probably the one who has to be careful with what I say. Uh, bite the hand that feeds me. But yeah, there is a conflict I think with um, shareholder-driven businesses where publicly traded businesses. You know, the, 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 there's a disconnect still between what the C-suite is judged on. What, 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 you know, it might be share price, shareholder value, and delivering true value to the customer. And I think the, the companies that get that right um, are going to win long-term because there is so much focus on, you know, the ESG kind of makeup of a company and, and things like, are they making ethical decisions? And, and that's not just, it's been put in a little neat box at, at the moment, but ethical decision-making in insurance is things like making sure that insurance is available to people that have lower levels of income who are uninsured at the moment. Um, and we can only do that if we're reinvesting the kind of savings we make with things like automation into, you know, that exactly as you say, reducing costs. So we pass that back. Um, and I hope you're right. And I, and I, I, I just, I, I, I can't help but be a bit cynical that unfortunately I don't know if that cost is going to get passed back. Um, but it's, it's definitely not the fault of the automation <laughs> that that will be the fault of the decision makers about what they do with that. Uh, sure. That's yeah. a good way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, touching on that point, you, you sort of had this very strange kind of way into the insurance industry. Um, uh, what an incredible way into it, but how did that, so the, so the person that reached out to you, they, they worked for a big insurance brokerage, did they? Is that? Yeah. There were a senior VP there. So that, that, that sort of touches on something because something I've been aware of, I went into insurance because there happened to be a really big insurance company that worked in my hometown. I came out of university with a very generic business degree, didn't know what to do and went, turned up at an open day. But had I not, I don't think I would have known anything about it. Um, uh, you know, and I always say working in my world, because I work in the recruitment side, I see different jobs. Like I wouldn't have known what an actuary was, but I was good at math. So maybe that was an option, you know, I think I think insurance does a really poor job of promoting itself to the particularly to the kind of tech, digitally savvy incoming college graduates. Um, was is is that still the experience? Do you think? And and I suppose those numbers bear it out. Four percent are going in. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have the historical data, so I don't know if it's four is high or low. Sure. sure, sure. Um, I will say though, it's interesting and maybe it's, it's more to the people that I went to school with. I, I as also went to business school. I would say I know three or four actuaries and four people who work for, four other people who work for in the insurance industry out of like 
that's like 50% of the friend group that I made in university, like eight people right there out of the 20, like close friends that I made went into insurance. So um, I think it's more interesting than it used to be. Um, But I I definitely don't think there's any university courses on it. Like when I went to recruitment events, Google was there, Facebook were there. Those were the hot events. Like those were fully sold out. Everybody wanted a hat. Everybody wanted the free swag that they were hanging the handing out. And then companies like Manulife, John Hancock showed up and all these big guys and very few people went there. But I ended up working for Manulife, John Hancock. So <laughs> I suppose then, I mean, I probably, I'm probably oversimplifying it. And then, you know, maybe is AI and automation and the, and the projects being done within the industry is, do you think maybe that's a area to focus on as a recruiting strategy rather than saying, come and join insurance because there's too much, there's too big a PR job to be done there. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think you actually hit the nail on the head. I, I know a lot of people who get excited about specific projects. I think you actually hit the nail on the head there. I think to get young people excited, you, talk about these new opportunities mm. and these new projects that you have on the go. And it's a smaller PR job than um, repositioning the insurance industry as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you touched on it earlier and, and, and I was, I was very transparent with you when you joined on the, the, the only things that I know about AI are scarce stories from uh, sci-fi movies um, and sitting in, um, and very kindly having your podcast uh, on AI automation tools. Um, but um, I had a note from you to say that not all AI is created equal, um, or it's from your colleague. Um, and I wondered if you could explain that to me in the context of insurance, you know, and um, I suppose you touched on it, the kind of full automation versus the kind of involvement. Um, is there something that's more appropriate for kind of the insurance industry? Um, right right now uh, and then that's going to change or or yeah or uh, yeah i mean i i, I suppose I'm, I'm waffling onto a point because I, I don't quite understand but i was like i hoping you might explain it <laughs> yeah for sure so there's actually a couple accesses um to this i'll start with one i probably will forget most of them but i'll start with what i think is the most poignant one so um The first one is, I think, a conversation of sort of off the box versus verticalized AI, because you'll see off the box solutions or off the shelf solutions, out of the box solutions from Google, Amazon, IBM, um, Microsoft. Somebody's going to yell at me for forgetting one of their names. But anyways, all of the big companies have their own machine learning platforms, that you can use. And by and large, for the most part, um, they all offer the same thing. So they'll typically allow you to identify, for example, 15 to 25 entities. And an entity is just a fancy word for a noun. So a person, place, or thing in a document. So you can upload a PDF to Amazon or Google or again, any of these companies. And it'll tell you, hey, I found 500 financial numbers, 1 million. 10,000, 1,000, 3,000, 4,000. Now, that's cool. It's good. But it doesn't achieve the purpose, for example, of knowing, well, which one's the limit? Which one's the deductible? 
which one's the premium and is this the limit for third party liability first party li first party liability is this for the property for the flood for the sewer backup for ice hail like what are we talking about here google mm -hmm. and that's the difference is when you have a verticalized solution um, that is specific. And again, this could be healthcare, right? Like same thing. If you got a doctor's bill and you just said 500, 400, 300, it's like, well, was that the x-ray? Was that for the doctor's time? Was that the medicine? Was it for the pharmaceutical drugs? Like what's going on here? Same idea. So uh, a solution like Chisel, we have 500 plus insurance specific entities. So we break down the concept of a financial number into limits, deductibles, premiums, self-insured retentions, we have the concept of like sometimes a limit gets overridden in an endorsement. So you need to know that those two things are actually related, not just being able to say, oh, I found a number here and I found a number there. Mm -hmm. It's like these two numbers are related and one of them actually supersedes the other. Mm -hmm. And so all of that is what we call sort of business logic is where the verticalization comes in and where not all AI is the same because you can go and build what we build with Chisel with Google, after investing millions of dollars and hundreds of hours of consultants times from EY and Deloitte and all these big guys, yeah. or you can go and buy it off the shelf and license it from us for one tenth the price, yeah. right? So that's one way to slice and dice it is, is it verticalized or is it out of the box? And that's sort of the downside of out of the box is it, it's cool. It, it works well on any topic. It can find numbers in anything, but it's not useful for anything. Hmm. Um, I can pause there for questions or I can cut it another way if you want. No, I, yeah, yeah, feel free to. So, because I, I think sure. that that's that's the way I understood it. I mean, I, th I think it's, it's a difference between specialization and, and I was reading something earlier about out of the box solutions. Um, and for a lot of specific problems, we have uh, out of the box solutions. And I suppose one of the things that I was kind of interested in was um, it's, the, the challenge now for an insurer or for, for any business entity is the integration of those technologies. And, you know, how does, what's your kind of view on kind of, uh, you know, open APIs, uh, is, is the business set up like that? Do you, does it communicate with other, with all the other systems? How do you tackle that challenge for uh, insurance companies? Certainly. I mean, I personally am a huge fan of partnership, um, integration because again I, I come from like efficiency yeah. and that's what kills me sometimes about you know we talk about being head but I'll, I'll, I'll come out like it kills me about Apple when they produce all these little dongles and they have all these proprietary little things that it's just to Apple and I'm like this is why I'm never going to buy an Apple product <laughs> like, you guys just segment yourself and I'm not I don't know as a consumer I don't, I don't like that so yes as a business owner same thing I'm all for open standards I'm all for integration. I think the insurance world is complex because it is, you know, one of the oldest industries in the world. You know, Lloyd's of London probably still has handwritten paperwork somewhere. And like the breadth and the depth and the scope is very wide. So uh, in our experience, you got to start off with a beachhead. You got to find one point of integration and expand because you can't integrate into every system or sure you'll never be done the project because they're going to add another system next year. And then you're going to be always chasing the tail. So mm -hmm. um, I'm all for it. It's a very hard thing to do though. And yeah. it takes years in my experience, like even working with big companies like Salesforce, Guidewire, all of these companies that have agency management, policy management systems, 
still takes years to integrate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, no, no, exactly. I wanted to get your take on that because it's where I find that is that you come from a sort of you're coming at it from a tech standpoint that happens to be applying your knowledge into the insurance market. Whereas, you know, if you came from the insurance market and trying to, I, th I think sometimes the challenges people are trying to tackle are, are too difficult, you know, too broad. And, and, and actually that, that's why I was kind of thinking about it when we were talking about verticalization versus, you know, out of the box, because it's like, right, pick a problem that we can actually tackle. It's a, it's a use case and it's like you say, it's a landing point and then we can build out the kind of use. Um, but yeah. But you were going to go on to another point about um, AI before I... Yeah, so, I mean, AI is a... It's a spectrum. It's a buzzword. It's many th different things to many different people. Yeah. Um, so I'll start with definitions. I'll start with our definitions. So we see the spectrum as sort of four stages and we talked about the last two but now i'll name the first two so the first stage of ai um i would say we're past so and it's not really ai what we what we call it is the automize automize automation spectrum mm -hmm. so on the automation spectrum four stages stage one is what we call desktop automation yeah. so this is things like building macros into excel spreadsheets things like automating clicks in, in any type of like VBA, just basic scripting. And so um, I would say most companies already have that or are beyond that. A lot of, in my experience, underwriting tools today, if they're still in Excel are really macroed up, you put in a couple of things, you run it, you get a price, you got the quote. Um, and that's cool and that's great, but it, it comes with a lot of maintenance and overhead. Somebody has to keep the macros running. Uh, macros can break all the time. And it's, it's good, but it doesn't learn. It doesn't get better. None of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Then you have the next stage, which is RPA or robotic process automation, which is the era that I would say we're in right now, or we're sort of just before or just after. It's hard to tell. Well, no, in five years, I'll be able to tell where we were. Exactly. <laughs> but we're, we're roughly there. We're either, this is the year of RPA. Last year was the year of RPA or next year is the year of RPA. It's one of those three. <laughs> But um, basically, RPA is the ability to build what we call decision trees, yeah. which is if this, then that. And so you end up having a branch and you can, you can have infinitely many branches. And so it looks like a really, really big tree with lots of roots. That's why we call it a decision tree. And so um, decision trees are good. And they've been around since this like artificial intelligence in this sort of sense, we call them expert systems, have been around since the late 70s. Um, but the problem is that you end up getting a lot of maintenance and still the same thing. It doesn't get better over time. You have to know the, the problem space very well. You have to know each possible node and leaf in that tree before you can actually code the system. And so for things like insurance, where people are sending you emails and the email is never structured and you never know where exactly the leaf node can be, RPA isn't the greatest solution. Mm -hmm. But in things where you always get the same form, for example, a chord form 780 always looks the same, then yes, of course, you can teach RPA, read the name here, read this there, read this there. But when a chord updates the form next year, you got to update the RPA system. So then we come to what we were talking about earlier, which is artificial intelligence with human in the loop. So what that means is the machine gets better over time, it learns, it makes predictions. 
And when it gets something wrong, the human corrects it so that it doesn't get wrong next time. The, the theory is that you're going to be in that stage for a couple of years, probably two to five years on really complex problem could even be 10 to 15 years. But if we look at things like Tesla, you know, they're pretty good at self-driving. I think they're level three or level four. And Elon says they're going to be fully autonomous this year. So mm -hmm. they've gathered enough data is basically what they're saying, right? Right mm -hmm. now, Tesla is in, you still need to keep your hands on the steering wheel. You still got to keep your feet on the brakes in case there's an accident. That's what we call human in the loop. But next year, they're going to go to fully autonomous, which means you don't even need to sit there. And so that's where the insurance industry will likely be in five to 10 years, just like you and I talked about. As these people retire, the machines, the whole goal is have enough information to be able to carry over. Um, and, and oftentimes when we talk with, with our partners, they're worried about um, knowledge loss, not having these people train or transfer the knowledge before they leave. The thing is a machine learns perfectly, mm -hmm. right? It, 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 it knows perfectly and it remembers forever. And so that's the beautiful thing is like, you'll be able to transfer that knowledge. So when we say not all AI is built equal, oftentimes people will, will mix up RPA, which can be considered a type of expert system, but it's not self-learning. Mm -hmm. So there's RPA, then there's like AI with a human in the loop. And then there's fully autonomous AI. We're right now in the era of RPA starting to get into AI with human in the loop. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. That, thank you for that. that that's, do you know what? I, th I don't think everyone's walked me through it and it makes perfect sense. And I think um, it, it just keeps making me think about the banking industry and, and, and where we are now, with, with, particularly with investment funds and, and, and hedge funds. You know, you, there are fully autonomous investment and hedge funds, right? And they exist. But then there's plenty that aren't in that. And there's probably a human in the loop. There's probably a bulk of them. And then there's still the kind of... You know, it's it's quite eccentric, but having the kind of genuine, like long-term, you know, uh, value investment kind of strategy. But then I suppose that's the thing. That's the difference. It's you can do that over a longer term, um, but if you're trying to make kind of many investments, many decisions um, for optimum prop profit as quickly as possible, you need a fully fully autonomous system that is genuinely fully autonomous that can make and execute trades on its own. Um, and I just kept thinking because i've had this discussion for a long time now where insurance really do you need people or could you treat it like a hedge fund like you you just operate in this world of insurance and you you provide capacity and you distribute it and uh, via mgas or or digital insurance and brokers or whatever and then the other side of it is providing a technology platform as an insurance company um but if we can really get the automation up to that final stage that you're talking about the, tr the true ai automation then if you just ran it as a capacity play then you know brokers could submit automatic decision or not and and there isn't a need for people at the back end one would assume i hesitate to go because here's the thing i think we'll open up new opportunities right mm. sort of like um will be able to bring new products to market. So based on new data, we'll be able to actually subclassify to say, you know what? Uber drivers are riskier than Lyft drivers. 
I'm just making something up. So don't nobody come after me. But you just, heard it here on Ron Gloss. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I think what will end up happening is we'll have a lot more statistics. We'll have a lot more actuaries. We'll have a lot of these, okay, how can we better price our products? How can we develop new products? How do we offer a better service? How do we make our claims experience better? Like, I don't think... As humans, we're never satisfied. We never, we never, at least in my experience, like we'll always keep chasing. We'll want to keep making things better. Um, now, I don't think, for example, we'll have necessarily the same um, sort of uh, submission process. Like today, for example, we email submissions, as you said, to like carriers. Like, yeah, you're right. There'll probably be some type of broker portal or, or carrier portal, even though they've tried it for 30 years and nobody's made a portal work successfully. Yeah. Um, eventually, somebody will crack it. There will be some automated portal. But I don't think that takes away any of the value or the judgment work like we talked about. It just takes away the, the data entry, all of the thinking. How do we price it? How do we upsell it? Um, maybe for example, this person, uh, one thing that we often talk about with our customers is 50% of people in the United States are underinsured. Um, and that can mean a couple of things. It might mean they might not have the right type of insurance. It can mean they might not have the right amount of insurance, but anyways, the, the thinking there is, you know, uh, building like recommendation engines, similar to Amazon, like a person who bought a nail is also going to buy a hammer 75% of the time, mm -hmm. who would have thought, right? Yeah, and so yeah. um, it's things like that, where I think there's going to be so much opportunity. And that's where people are smart, people are going to be thinking, mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to, I don't think it's a job loss situation, it could be more like a hedge fund, but it, it won't be about replacing people. No, I, I think I think the thing is that I think what I was leading towards is I don't think it'll be a net job loss. It's just the jobs that we've got now will be will, will not. I mean, the banking sector is the same. As every investment banker they lost, you know, they were probably hiring ten data engineers. You know, and and mm -hmm. it that's more of a bigger macro challenge for our education system, our our kind of you know governments and saying right, well we need to change the way that we approach education. Um, you know, more computer science, less, um, less, less other areas. Um, yeah. And that's not, you know, that's, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not me. Cause I'm a guy that, I mean, I, <laughs> I did business and then I went to drama school. So I'm, I'm both ends of the spectrum. You know, I, I, you know, I think there's loads of room for creativity in this kind of science and maths fields. Cause they're, they're the, that's, that's how you plug the gap in knowledge, right. Yeah. You know, between what you know and, 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 the, and new products and services um but if the core skill becomes something that is more in the world of data or or ai then we need to provide more of that um and it may be less about um you know someone with 20 years underwriting experience in a specific field because as you say you know you should get to a point where a machine can do it um there is also as well how Someone has said to me on this podcast before that, you know, insurance is not a, not an early adopter marketplace. You know, it's not, sure. <laughs> it, it's, you know, they're, they're going to resist this fairly heavily. Um, and I think we'll start to see this as the cycle of, um, you know, different kind of generations come in. Because I was thinking that when you were talking about Tesla with a self-driving car, I think I've driven for too long to be comfortable in a self-driving car. Even if my head says, this is fine. Statistically, this car drives better than I do. It's less likely to crash. 
And, and I've, I've seen the data. I know that that's that's it's already the case that if we had fully autonomous vehicles, there'd be less accidents. I'm, I'm completely convinced of that. But I don't know if I can let go of it. <laughs> you know? I hear yeah, but I, I would go on the flip side, like, you know, we talked, I travel a lot for business before the whole pandemic, like the amount of crazy taxi drivers I've had, like, and not, I don't know, it could be Uber, like, I'm not necessarily picking up, I just mean, like, I've been to Vegas and like, people drive crazy there. I've been to London. Oh my God, I'm certain you've been to London. Like, oh my God, dude, driving there. So, yeah. you know, in some sense, I hear you, I feel like a lot of people feel that about themselves but if you ever put yourself in a situation where somebody else was driving and you're like oh my god i don't feel safe in this car yeah then there's a case to be made yeah no i completely agree and i, I but i think it's just it's that isn't it it's like generational change will probably lead to the fact that we're going to have you know like like we've seen with the growth of things like lemonade and root you know digital first insurers you know the, the early adoption is people that are who you know, born into a digital first generation, that they're, they're, they're 100% comfortable with it. Whereas, you know, you're going into the Lloyd's market, you're talking about Lloyd's, one of the great, it's got this romantic appeal to it, you know, it's got all these traditions and these buildings and, and these cultures and, and, and there's a lot to hold on to. Um, so it, I think the cultural input the cultural resistance will be stronger and longer than probably the, the technology will get there before it's allowed to you know be interfaced but um do you ever face that is that a challenge you do you sort of come across when you're trying to kind of sell the process of the, the cultural change no to be honest we don't face too much regulatory or cultural um again at least maybe where we are today like we are we have a human in the loop. Like these people are like already working overtime. 90, like literally like most of the time when we come in, these guys are going to say, this is going to save me two hours a day. Wonderful. Like, let's yeah. do it. Cause they yeah. need those two hours back. So um, we, we've personally very rarely face change. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Face like adverse change. Like I don't think anybody feels that it's an adverse change to them. No, 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 no. If you turn around and say we can, we can save you time and uh, from doing mundane tasks, I think yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a, yeah. I'm not saying it's an easy sell because you know yeah, you've got to do the selling, but um, no, it sounds like an obvious one. Like, I'm really conscious of your time. I said I said it wouldn't be more than 45 minutes, and and, and we're very much there. So um, just tell me briefly what's what's ha happening for you guys, uh, Chisel AI this year. Uh, any kind of like any specific goals or uh, last year was probably survival for most people. So, you know, what's, what's 2021 look like for you? Uh, we have a new product, uh, not necessarily new, but we have a new redesign of, of our submission intake product that we were talking about. So um, if anybody is listening and is interested as a carrier or knows somebody who works at a carrier, please uh, do reach out. Um, so we're going to be launching that. That's uh, something that we've been working on for the last couple of months. And we announced last year towards the end of the year, we'd also revamped policy checks. So we're now in version two of policy checks. So uh, just put, working on pushing those out there, getting more users on, expanding the features. If anybody has ideas for features or, or future products that they think AI can help them build, you know, we have an ongoing list of feature requests and just product ideas. So um, just keep going. That's yeah, the goal. Yeah. And um, I know you've got uh, you've got you've got your own podcast as well. So the, uh, let's uh, let's put a plug in for that. What's what, what's the podcast? Sure. Yeah. If anybody wants to check it out, it's called AI Wisdom, 
uh, in insurance. But if you type in AI wisdom, it'll come up. But the full name is AI wisdom in insurance. Brilliant. And I'll include a link in the show notes as well. But um, Ron, thank you so much. A real pleasure. Um, thank you for being kind and patient with a man that uh, clearly doesn't know enough about AI to uh, have a guest on and talk about it. But um, I, I, I really enjoyed that. And, I, I you know, it, it's such an obvious win. Um, but I love that there's that sort of cultural challenge that we have to kind of get over um, because that's my world. You know, recruitment is all about the nuts and bolts of it is about finding the right people, the right skills, but then the magic source is in that, that person matching and, uh, and AI speaks to that, you know, you're, you're talking long-term about, we're talking about people having better working lives. You know, you're taking the stuff that's, that's frustrating away. So um, I'm a massive proponent of it and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see what you guys keep doing, but thank you once again for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Alex. Cheers, Ron. So that was Ron, uh, great guy, great episode. As I said, absolute podcast pro. As ever, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro, um, the leading in tech executive search partner. If you would like to find out more about how we can help you connect uh, your InsTech business um, with the best talent, please visit www.wearefinpro.com. We're always looking for your feedback, good or bad. Um, feel free to reach out to me, Alex Bond, on LinkedIn or directly on my email of alex at wearefinpro.com. Um, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and please remember to like and subscribe. Hopefully we'll see you next week.